All right, well, today's going to be a little bit different than usual. Uh, just an opportunity to share with you uh, some of what we saw over in Romania. Let me open, though, by just, I want to get something out there uh, that I, I want to introduce to you. Uh, I have wanted for a long time for us as a church to read through the Bible together in a year. And with uh, Sonia Page coming on, I was able to work with her and we're putting together a plan where we can all uh, read the Bible together, starting in Genesis, going all the way through Revelation. And uh, we have psalms broken up, uh, a psalm per day, so that it, it, you don't ever read straight through the psalms. Um, but I I'm putting that out there because I want you to be thinking about that. I'd like for you to think about committing to do it. And then what we're going to do, so this will start January 2nd, I think. So I think... I get this, we give you the weekends off, okay? So if you need time to get caught up, you can take the weekend. So I think January 2nd is Monday. To be praying about that, to begin, we'll all be reading with the rest of the world, Genesis 1, uh, on, on January 2nd. And then, so what I want to do then is we will take one Sunday night per month, and we will gather here, and we will talk about what we've read and then what we're going to read in the next section, okay? And so we'll have the dates for that all planned out. And actually, one other thing, I've got it ending in November, all right? So it's actually 11 months. Uh, it'll be ending in November. We'll have our last meeting together in November. So even then, if you want to be sure, you'll have a little time in December if you want to be able to, to, to say that I, I've read the whole Bible in a year. Okay, so advertisement. I know, I know New Year's seems a little far off. We haven't even done Thanksgiving and Christmas yet, but I wanted to get that out there so that you can be thinking about it and praying about it, and we'll have more information about that uh, in the days to come. Okay, so as you know, we just got back from Romania with uh, Stacy and Maya and Lucy and Gus came with me, and really the morning today is devoted to talking about that. I am going to I am going to sort of root it in some of what we're, we've been learning in the book of James, but I, I kind of wanted to start it off by having Stacy and Maya come up, and I've just asked for them to, to share uh, some of the things that they learned, some of the things that God uh, showed them while we were over there, and then I'll come up, and I've got some pictures, and we'll, we'll pull some things together. So Stacy and Maya, if you guys want to come up. We're going to go youngest to oldest. <laughs> um, I want to say Romania was a ton of fun. There's something really special about spending time in a community that you don't share a language with, but that you share a God with. Um, and there were two things that I think stuck out the most. First was just the tangibility of the ministry they have there. Um, everywhere we went, there were needs that needed to be filled and then people filling them. Um, just joyfully serving everyone around them. Um, we spent some time with Ukrainian refugees and there and then with the adoptive families and orphans. People are just hands-on wanting to help each other out, and I think that was really cool. Um, the second thing that I struck out um, was from a family that we met at the conference. Um, they had four or five kids, and their youngest was adopted, and she had a disability. Um, and at the conference, they didn't stick out at all. They were just part of the adoptive families, part of that community. But then we got to church the next day, and a couple minutes after we got there, they came in too. Um, they sat right behind us, we said hello, and then I looked around, and I realized that they were the only family there that had a kid with a disability, and probably the only family that had an adopted kid. And, um, I think then that's when it hit me, that we have this community. Um, there's a lot of us here who have adopted kids, who have um, been impacted in some way by a disability, by a difference, um, and they don't. And I think it kind of saddens me, because um, our community is special, but it made me really excited, too, to know that we get to join them in this mission that they have to build this community. Um, and we get to see what it's like to, sorry. Um, to have a little glimpse of what heaven is gonna be like, I think. 
um, where disability isn't different, um, but that we're just all here for each other. And it's just, I think it's going to be really fun and really beautiful to be part, be part of what God is doing. Um, and we just get to be the hands and feet and get to see it. Um, Romania was really special. Um, hopefully I won't cry too, but I might. Um, it was just really neat to see our hearts and our passions that God has given us and to meet people, you know, across the ocean in another country, in another culture, speaking another language that share that heart and that passion. Um, it's just a special connection that you make um, that was really neat for us to experience. Our time in Romania was split up. We really um, didn't know what we were. We kind of had some ideas of things we might get to see and do, but kind of were just rolling with wherever they took us every day and whatever we did. We didn't, um, we didn't really know what our time was going to look like there. And um, God just really blessed us um, tremendously. We spent the first day um, learning about the Ukrainian refugee crisis in Romania and what the church is doing there. And it was just really, like Maya said, the ministry was so tangible. There were just basic needs. People need clothing, people need food, people need a place to sleep. And the churches there were just stepping up in every way that they could to fill that need. And initially, um, they were telling us about how, like, they just put mattresses everywhere they could in their church, between their pews, up the aisles, everywhere, just to, to have a place for people to sleep. And to see the sacrifice that the people there were making for these people that they didn't know that maybe would be there for a time, you know, a couple days or a longer term, um, them just opening up everything that they had to these people was, was really amazing, amazing to see the sacrifice. And to see, um, we got to meet with several of the pastors, and they just had a posture of thankfulness to God for allowing them to be a part of that ministry and allowing them to have the resources and have the space um, to open it up. So that was, that was really a neat um, opportunity for us. We got one of the nights, I guess it was the first night or maybe the second night we were there, I can't remember. Um, there was a young girl who was a Ukrainian refugee. She was 22 years old. She was in Romania by herself, didn't have any family support and just asked if we would pray with her um, for what the Lord would have for her to do. She just felt really um, understandably lost and confused, but she was, she was grounded in the same God that we love and serve. And just to pray with her was really, um, really a treat for us and to, to see her just seeking that. And I think that the mission field with all the Ukrainian refugees is just so ripe over there because a lot of them come from an Orthodox tradition um, but don't know the Lord. And so for them to see these people being the hands and feet of Christ was really, that was really amazing. And just for our family, um, we have three children adopted from Ukraine. So we just have a really special place in our heart for the, for the country of Ukraine anyway. And so to get to see and meet some of those people and have that common bond was really, um, really a neat thing that the Lord allowed. Um, like Maya talked about, the church there, seeing them, we didn't really know what to expect. When we were in Ukraine, the church is really not involved in adoption. There's really not a culture of adoption there. And that's really my only Eastern European experience, so I didn't know what to expect in Romania. And it was, I was shocked by what I saw. They wanted us, like Americans who know things, to come and help them, and they taught us so much. Um, the church there is just really on fire for stepping up and taking care of the orphans and just standing in the gap for them, helping them find families, taking care of them. And their, their level of support was super impressive to me. So that was um, somewhere that I think that we learned more than they learned from us. Um, the other thing that really was special to me um, in Romania was we, we met with Alex, who some of you um, know who he is because we raised money for his son who needed to have surgery. And he's the, I guess, the head guy of Romania without orphans. And he was telling me, and he had kind of communicated this with David before, um, but at dinner one night he was telling me, you know, I have this dream to have a camp for people with disabilities and their families to come and feel loved and feel special 
can you help me? Can you help me make them know that we love them? Um, and so that's where I want to partner with them is with that dream to be able to, for us to, for some of our members to go over and help make that a reality for them. Um, there are things like that in the States and there are things like that that we've been heavily involved in, my family. Um, so I guess that's, that's where I feel like God is leading me for further ministry in Romania is in helping them to, to get a place because our culture is a little bit more um, accepting and loving for people with disabilities and their culture is tr kind of a, a few years behind us. And we have been, our family has been so blessed by ministries like that. So it's exciting that God is, has woven all of these things into my, my path that I can now use um, for people that I otherwise would never meet this side of heaven. So that's, that's what I'm hoping to, to take away from our time there long-term is to pursue with Alex this dream of, of a camp for people and their families dealing with disability. Uh, you know, many of you know I'm, a, I'm an early to bed, early to rise kind of guy. I like, I like my schedule like I, I, I like my schedule. Uh, most, most nights my family's having dinner by 5.30. Uh, very different than the Knofchinskis. I think, I think Stacy enjoyed the, the um, different schedule a little more than I did. Uh, we, we spent our days pretty much from 8 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. We were out and about um, in the night of the conference. You know, we'd been at the conference from 8 o'clock in the morning all the way till after 7 o'clock. And they said, you guys go back to the hotel, and then we'll come and get you. And we'll, we have reservations at 9 o'clock uh, for dinner. You know, and I'm like, oh, 9 o'clock. Okay, great. And we went to dinner. And, you know, finally at like 10.30, I was like, I'm just going to take an Uber back to the hotel. Because, like, if I don't, I'm going to, you know, collapse in this... Um, in this food that's in front of me. Uh, the, the second night after another, uh, we, we, after we went to church, um, we, left, we left church late and we went to the Hard Rock Cafe in Bucharest and had dinner there and, and got back, I think, at almost 11 o'clock and Gus and I had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to catch a plane out the next morning. So it was a very, very different kind of experience for me uh, I, I, who, uh, who kind of exists not doing those kind of things. But I, my heart is, is absolutely full. My heart is absolutely full from being there. When I, when I got home last Monday night late, um, I was very tired, but I think it was a good kind of tired. And I saw a lot that I want to tell you about. We met a lot of great um, brothers and sisters who are serving the Lord so faithfully over there. So this morning, let me just take a minute. I just want to take a minute and root what I'm going to say, kind of in what we've been learning in James and a little bit of the life of Christ. This is, you know, if, if my sermons every week are, you know, something that I've, a, a meal that I've prepared, this one might feel like I grabbed some things out of the refrigerator. But I, I think all of these things are going to, are going to come together. And, and I just, I want to say this. This is not my first time through the book of James, but as we've studied the book of James, I think what has stood out to me more than any other time is that James is, in fact, an epistle about action. And we've seen this. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Don't show partiality. Don't say to the poor man, go be warmed and be filled. Like, do something, right? And then probably stated most clearly, you know, faith without works is dead. And these are all things that are in response to the word, so we are quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. We do put off filthiness. We keep ourselves unstained by the world. But then we actively respond to what the Word says. And faith alone saves, but it's not faith that is alone. Um, I was supposed to talk on... My, my topic for the conference was going to be adoption and the fatherhood of God. And actually, the day before the conference, they asked me to, to talk about something else. Um, but I, I just wanted to say, uh, we have all been adopted into the family of God. Like that is, adoption is a um, metaphor that is used for salvation. We talk a lot about justification, which is great. That's more of a legal picture. But adoption is a, a picture of a, of a family. God is our father. We are brothers and sisters. And I always like to say, we get to be a part of the family business. When we have been saved into God's family, we get to be a, a part of that, of that family business. I think every time that Jesus says something about the Father 
or, or that we are called sons and daughters of God. I think you have adoption present in the New Testament. When Jesus says, pray this, our Father who is in heaven, that's adoption language. 1 John 3, 1, John says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us so that we would be called children of God, and such we are. And I, and I just want to say, after 2,000 years of church history, I think we can get very used to these notions. You know, as new as that might have been for the disciples to find out that they can call God Father, we should still be amazed at that 2,000 years ago. You have the ability to barge into the throne room of the God of the universe because you have been covered in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and you can barge in there and say, Father, and talk to him. And that's an amazing thing. We saw in John, Jesus, the son of God by birth, so not, not, not an adoptive son. I mean, we have all the rights and privileges of being sons of God, but, but Jesus has all of that by birth. Uh, we saw in John 5, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does. For the father loves the son and shows himself all that he is doing. And if you remember, we said, how weird would it be if you ran into a guy out and about, you overheard somebody talking, and he was saying, you know, I only do what my father says to do. I, I only do what I see my father doing. It would be so weird to hear an adult say that, and yet Jesus says, I, I can't do anything on my own. I can only do what I see my father doing, and, and my father loves to show me what he was doing. And so I, I would argue that Jesus was constantly watching to see what the father was doing. And so as adoptive children in the family of God, I think we too should be always watching to see what our father is doing. And so Related to adoption, what I would say is this. When we care for children from hard places, when we take care of widows and orphans, we are getting involved in the work that our Heavenly Father is doing because our, the Bible tells us over and over again that God is a, a father to the fatherless. And I think this applies to all ministry, not just orphan care. We read in the Scriptures that we, we, we need to understand the Father's heart. We can see the Father's heart, and then we can act accordingly. And so, when we read the Word, and we understand the Word, and we do it, we are being like Jesus. One more thing I want to say real quick before I turn, you know, so, so we're a part of the, the family business. We're, we're seeking to do the things that God is, is interested in. And then secondly, this is just another observation that I have that I think relates to all of this. I, as I've studied the life of Christ, and I've been going through it again with our, some, of, some kids on Tuesday mornings here, every time... I just like to point out, when you look at Jesus, Jesus is a very busy man. He, he travels with his 12 disciples. He's preaching. He's healing. He's casting out demons for three and a half years. But sometimes he stops. Sometimes he rests. Uh, he often went up a mountain alone to pray. Something I've noticed about Jesus is he did not do everything that he possibly could do. In a world of all the things that Jesus could do, Jesus didn't do all of those things. He never ministered outside of Palestine. He never went to Rome. There are a lot of things that Jesus chose not to do. Most of his miracles were localized in one tiny little fishing area in a, in a tiny little section of, of Israel around the Sea of Galilee. And I, and I think for us, the needs of the world can seem overwhelming. And the internet has made it possible that all of us can know every disaster, every human crisis, every mass shooting immediately, and the weight of that feels crushing to us. We, we, we hear about all these needs, and then you have people who are like, my people, my need has to be your need, and you feel like you have to take all of that on. And as we've said, we can't do everything. Jesus is the only one who can change the world. I can't change the world. It's arrogant of me to think that I can. But I don't think that means that we should simply do nothing. And, and what I observe about Jesus is that Jesus, though he is a busy man, though he's often trying to get somewhere and do something, he always responds to the needs that, that come in front of him. He always takes... So we were, we were in John 6 this last week. And in John 6... Just before the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had sent the 12 out to minister by twos and to cast out demons and to do miracles and to preach. 
and they had just come back, and they were super excited because they had done all these things. And he was like, that's great, that's great. Let's go away. You need to rest. Let's go away. And so they go around to the other side of Galilee intending to get some rest. But the, the, the people of the region look to see where they're going, and they all run ahead to meet Jesus when he gets there. And so think about the 12 disciples at this point. They're like, okay, good, we're getting away from some vacation. We need a little bit of rest and relaxation. And they get there, and there's this crowd of people. And what does it say that Jesus does? It doesn't say, I'm sorry, guys. We were here, we were here to rest. You guys can go back home. I'll see you. In no, he recognizes, he says he had compassion on them, and he taught them. And then we all know that he fed them. And then later on, if you read, if you ever read in Mark 7, okay, and we'll, we'll go through this one day, in Mark 7 and Mark 8, Jesus is clearly trying to get alone. He's trying to get alone with his disciples. Every time somebody starts to come up to him, he says, okay, I'll do this for you, but I need you not to tell anybody because I'm trying to get alone. I don't, I don't want a crowd right now until finally in John chapter 8, this blind man comes up to him and says, will you heal me? And Jesus says, I, I will heal you but I want you to not go into your town. I want you to like stay right where you are and keep your mouth shut until I get out of here. But my observation in all of that is that Jesus always responds to the need in front of him because I think, going back to my previous point, I think Jesus sees every opportunity as something that has been brought to him from his Father, and he moves towards it, and he does the things that the Father has brought him. So I say all that to say this. As we live our lives, I do believe that following Jesus means that we meet people's needs. Jesus taught people. He, he helped people. He fed people. He ate with them. He touched lepers. There is great joy to be found in serving others. And I think to some extent that is has been lost a little bit in the American church. And I, you know, I love reading the Word. I love reading the Word. I, I, I just sat before you that we're going to read the whole Bible together next year, Lord willing. But our faith does not exist only to read the Word. Our faith does not exist only to come to church. Our quiet times are not supposed to be the high point of our day from which everything goes downhill from there. They're supposed to be the foundation of our day where we read the Word of God and we get encouraged and then we go out and we do the things that we are reading. We do the things that we are coming to understand. And so I want to encourage Hope Bible Church, and I know it's only Thanksgiving, but even as we think about 2023, that we would be Christians who are asking the Father to open our eyes to the needs around us because there are needs and maybe it's hard to see them. I think that's a frustration for many in America today. It's been a frustration for me. It's hard sometimes to find people to give to. And the needs in Romania, as you've already heard and as we'll talk about, are much more obvious. They have Ukrainian refugees showing up at the door of the church. It's interesting. One of the pastors said, I know that war is terrible. I know that the war is terrible. But he said, this has been such a blessing for us as a Romanian church to be able to help people in this very, very tangible way. So we need God to open our eyes to the needs. I'll just speak from my own experience. You know, what motivated, what motivated me to keep adopting children was I saw the need. What motivates people to, to, to meet, to do things for people is when you see the need. Uh, we talked about Alex, Eric's dad, who's the head of Romania Without Orphans, and we spent a lot of time with him. He, he had spent the, the week before we were there, <coughs> excuse me, traveling around Romania, trying to find a home for a little girl who has no arms and no legs. And he had found a home for her, and then the people pulled out. So he's asked us to pray that, that we would keep looking. Uh, by the way, a, a hospital in New York has agreed to fit her with prosthetic legs and prosthetic arms but the Romanian government won't take her there. She needs a family to adopt her, and then the family can take her to the U.S. This is not a need that God has brought to you because we can't adopt internationally from Romania. If you're like, oh, that God, that God's put that need, he has not put that need in, in front of you, and we should pray that God would, would help her uh, to, to, to find somebody. 
But, but that's what I mean. I, I think that as Hope Bible Church, I want us to be moving towards things so that we can be doers of the Word. And we should read the Word, and we should put off sin, but we should also obey the Word and meet the needs of the people that God brings to us. I hope maybe even some of you right now that God is bringing to mind like things that you've thought of, needs that you know of, that, that he might have for you to meet. All right, so turning to the Romania trip then, and uh, I've just, I just want to share with you kind of piggybacking on some of what Stacy and Maya have already said. I do believe that God brought this trip to minister to us. I did not seek out this trip. It came to me. I didn't call up anybody and say, hey, can I come to Romania? Um, I, I, I hope that some of you are going to find that God is bringing this opportunity to minister to you as well. Um, Teo was here a few weeks ago. He's currently living in Estonia. Uh, long story short, I met, he's from Romania. I met him in Chicago. We reconnected. Teo connected me with Alex in Romania, who works with Romania Without Orphans. There's a church association of seven churches in Bucharest. What's the acronym? UBC, right, the UBC, I could never remember the acronym. The UBC, it's seven like-minded churches who have come together to serve these refugees. Alex invited me to the conference. I mentioned it to Stacy, and off the five of us went to Romania. And the primary reason for this trip was to connect with ARFO. So ARFO is the acronym for Romania Without Orphans in Romanian. Um, we were going to attend the conference. I was eventually asked to speak. And then because, I don't know if you guys remember this, but we actually gave some money to the refugee crisis, and we were able to see some of the ways that that money was being used to meet ongoing needs. So our time in Bucharest was focused on two things, refugees and then the ongoing orphan care ministry. Um, all right, so I've got some pictures here. Uh, they're not necessarily in any particular order. Uh, I'll just kind of move. So what's the next one there? Okay, so this is, well, y'all, we didn't see any sights. Um, we didn't have any time, but when we first, this was right after we had gotten off the plane, uh, Alina, who picked us up. This is the People's Palace. Um, so I don't know if you guys know much about Romanian history, but they were, un they were under communism, but they were under a particularly oppressive dictator named Nicolae Ceausescu. Um, who was a, just a terrible man. There was an uprising in 1989, but he built this. This was to be his, his uh, prime achievement. This was the, it was, he called it the People's House. It's right in the middle of Bucharest. They bulldozed all the houses in front of it, and they built their, um, kind of going this way from us, there's a big boulevard with trees and canals and all of these big buildings that lined it. So this was to be his big um, you know, sort of monument to himself that he built there in Bucharest, and now it's the parliament. It's actually the Romanian parliament, which is kind of an interesting irony there. So that was like the one site that we got to see. The other interesting thing about the, the people in Romania is many of them remember living under Ceausescu, and you can, you can see that, and I think it does affect how they think about ministry and how they think about being able to worship Jesus, because they really do remember a time when they weren't allowed to do that. What's the next one? That's just a picture outside my hotel window. Um, okay, all right, let's stop there. Okay, so this, so we went out the first day that we were there. Like I said, um, like Stacy said, we, we didn't even necessarily always know where we were going. Um, but they came and they picked us up in a van. We took off. We went about two hours um, outside of Bucharest. The traffic in Bucharest is awful. It's the worst traffic I've ever seen in my life. I would be looking at the little um, GPS system, and it would say two kilometers to your place, 30 minutes. Like, it was absolutely insane how bad the traffic was. So even though it took us two hours to get there, it probably was only like, you know, 30 miles outside of town. Um, but we went out to a camp. So the, the UBC churches had purchased this camp actually before. They were going to use it as a youth camp. And then once the Romania crisis started, they started using this. So this became a place for full-time Ukrainian refugees. So many of the refugees that come there to the church are just there temporarily, and they're really just going on to other places in Europe and even North America where they have family or friends. But some of them come, they have only the, the clothes on their back, and they have nowhere to stay. So they are putting them then 
into places. So this is a room, this is an empty room, and I, I can't show you anything that would have like the, the actual people who are staying there, but this one is ready for somebody to take a whole family. These are the rooms that whole families are living in you, for permanently, full time. And they've got like cats and dogs and snakes that they brought with them. They've brought their pets with them. And they're, they're living there. Um, so this particular house has these rooms upstairs. And then you come downstairs and there's like a common area and a kitchen. In these places where the Ukrainians are living um, full time, they have a lot of the responsibility for cooking and for cleaning. They prepare a lot of the stuff. What's the next one, Daniel? That's a, so they've, they've got, that, that's a bathroom that like a house full of families is using. A couple of showers there and... Um, uh, a, a toilet and a sink. They've got a few um, uh, washing machines and dryers downstairs that they're able to use. They, so the Ukrainian people, the Ukrainian people who were there since we were there, they were so thankful to see us. They speak Russian, by the way, and just by an act of God's providence, we had this British man who also came with us who just happened to be fluent in Russian, so we were able to talk with some of the people, but they were so happy to have us that they made this. This was a, a spread of Ukrainian food that they made for us to eat. Go to the next one. Um, they had that borscht uh, up there. I've never had borscht before, which is like beet soup. And then the, the sausages there is on something called buckwheat. I've, I've heard of buckwheat, but I've never eaten it before. It was just kind of a grain thing. And I guess somebody had brought a lot of eggplants, they said, so they had some eggplant dishes. But that, whatever that white dish is with that red sauce in it is some kind of eggplant puree with that, like, I mean, I would eat that on anything. I would eat it on anything going forward. Like, it was absolutely delicious. So they, and they were so happy to provide for us, to, to give us this. What you got next? Okay, hang on to that one. Let me, let me finish up with where I'm at. Um, yeah, so we ate lunch with them, and then we finished up. Uh, and, oh, let me tell you, too, real quick. There was a couple that lived there. Their name were, uh, like, Marion and Mona. And their house was just next to this camp. They're Christians. Um, and so when the, when the refugees started filling the camp, they just started volunteering their time, doing odd jobs and helping. Mona helps with a lot of the ladies. She speaks English. And so they became so involved since February that they asked them to become full-time. So they are now the full-time caretakers at the camp. Marion drives once a week, eight hours to the Ukrainian border, and he takes supplies there. And they told us all about the needs that are there, too, which is a whole different story. And then, he, and then they bring refugees back from the border every single week um, so that they can be cared for and taken care of here. And he just does that week after week after week. There was a woman that was there. She was very upset when we were there. She was asking. She wanted to get in the convoy that was leaving next because her daughter is still in Ukraine. So she wants to go back to Ukraine and find her daughter and then bring her back to the camp, okay? So, so we finished up there, and then we came back to Trinity Baptist Church, which is a church right in the middle of Bucharest. So that has become then, they've done an amazing job of setting up um, this whole process that was not in existence in February. But these, these Ukrainians just started showing up at the church. Like Stacy said, they were putting mattresses just in the, in the worship center, and so they have set up this whole process of bringing the Ukrainians in. They get them processed. They provide food for them. They provide uh, shelter for them, and then they try to get them to other places from the church. This was the church library or like the discipleship center, and they've cleared it out, and that is just probably 10 bunk beds filled with Ukrainian men who live in that place. What's the next one there? Uh, that's, they built this kitchen. It's, it's, I'm a terrible picture, picture taker. Um, but this is a kitchen that they built. They've got the stoves and stuff there. Um, that, none of this was here. The pastor, the, they've, all the pastors are in one office. They've, they've all moved into one office because they're using all of the rooms in the church to care for the refugees. What's next? Uh, that's just us walking. Next. Okay, we'll stop there. Um, all right, so totally remodeled. We got to have dinner with them there that night. Um, they've, they've totally, they've basically made their church into a hotel. It's just a hotel with lots of rooms. They were down in some basement room, he showed us. They were doing all kinds of work, um, putting in showers. They were putting in a shower room that had a, a men's side and a women's side because they have like three showers in the whole church for all of these people. They said at one point they had 900 volunteers 
out of those seven churches who were working to care for these um, refugees. So that's, that's some of the work that's been being done with the refugee stuff, and I'll, I'll turn for that. Um, this, this was a, this was called Susanna's Texas Barbecue. Um, so I, I don't know what they think of us exactly, um, but they kept bringing us to places. I actually sent this picture to, the, to, the, to our elder chat, and Jay texted back, are you guys at Cracker Barrel? Um, and it, it does look that. Um, but they, so we, so they were like, you have to try the ribs, you know, so I had the ribs and they were fine. Um, and then these girls came out and started line dancing. Um, and it was just really this really bizarre experience to be having at like nine o'clock at night in Romania, um, for me. Okay, move on from that one. All right, so that brings us then to the, cons, uh, to the conference and, the, and the, the time that we spent with Romania without orphans. Like, like Stacy said, Eric's dad runs ARFO truly inspiring organization. Romania Without Orphans is pulling together all of these NGOs who are, basically it's one organization that can get you adopting. Um, from all the way from like interest in adoption, adopting needs that you have, all the way to like crisis care on the other side. Like they've got, they've got organizations under, they're so organized. I, Stacy and I both talked about when we started adopting back in the early 2000s, we had to dig it all out on the internet. Like there was no centralized place to figure all of this out. And with Romania Without Orphans, you can just go there and you can say, I would like to adopt a, a child in Romania and they will walk you through the process in, in a way that I certainly would have wished that we could have had. We met all kinds of different individuals who are involved in different roles. There's, there's some who are lobbying the Romanian government to make change. So Romania used to be one of the hardest countries even for Romanians to be able to adopt. And now because of the work of ARFO, it's one of the easiest countries in the world. It's absolutely free. You don't pay anything to adopt. And they've, they've just really cut out some of the red tape that's going on there. So Saturday we spent at the conference, we heard lots of stories about adoption. One of the ones that was the most interesting to me was a man who has physical difficulties, and he's married, and he's, he's, had, he's grown up with uh, medical needs, and it was, it was on his heart to adopt a child with medical needs, because he knows that he's had that experience. And so they interviewed him, they talked to him, lots of instruction about how to care for children who come from truly difficult situations. And I mean truly difficult situations, horrific things. How, how do you work with children who have experienced some terrible things in their life and, and begin to love them and to help them trust you and all of those things that they were talking about. And, and like Maya said, one of the things that they definitely lack over there is they lack a sense of community. Um, a lot of the people over there don't feel like there's anybody else who's doing this. And it's very isolated, sometimes only in, you know, in one church, you know, there may be only one adopted child. So let me, what do we have next there, Daniel? That, this was the conference. Oh, okay, so they had us do a little thing right at the beginning where we, uh, you may have seen it before, but we held up, we held up a sign and then we would flip the sign. So this was Gus and my sign. It says, um, uh, born on different con continents, living in the same family. So we walked by and they had like several people with different, Stacy had one. What did yours say? God didn't give us an easy life, but he gave us the best life. So we all kind of did that. It was really it was really cool. What was the next one? Okay, there's Eric. Uh, this is Eric and Nina. I was like, you're a celebrity. Um, we actually spent lots of time with Eric. Like, he was kind of all around for the whole conference. That's Eric's mom, Alex's wife. That's me and, and Gus. And we gave the, the card that we had written on uh, from the kids, and we had a toy that we, we gave to him. So what do we have? Uh, okay, so that's Gus. Um, so it was translated. So the conference, they very graciously, they, so they had somebody translating so we could put in the little earphones there and we could understand what they were saying. Um, this is Alex. He's, he, he was the opening speaker. He addressed everybody. What's next? That's the, that's the outside of the church. It was called Harul Church, which means grace. So it was Grace Church. Um, oh, and there's, um, so this is Marion and um, Mona. So that's, that's the two people I told you about from the refugee camp. He's the one who uh, drives in and out of Ukraine every week taking supplies. Doesn't he just look like the kind of guy that would drive in and out of a war zone to take supplies and, 
and uh, he's just great Christian. He didn't speak a lot of English. Like his primary way of communicating was like, God bless you. He would just like, he would hug you and just say, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. That was, that was how he, he talked. So, um, oh, and there we are. That's our, that's our British friend, Richard Proctor, who he's, he actually told us on the last day we were having breakfast together at the hotel before he left. And he said, you know, I'm just going to confess. I found out I was going to be going around with a bunch of Americans and I was kind of disappointed, but you guys have been great. Um, so he told Gus that his manners were so good that he could probably be a British um, citizen. So, um, all right, so what's, oh, this was interesting. Um, I just put this here. So they brought us to a place and they said, you have to try the pork. And, and, and then they brought out this, I, I did not know what that was when it first came to the table, but that is a large, apparently that's a Romanian dish and it was a large piece of pork, and I actually took a picture, I don't think I put it on there, but I actually took a picture of the, like, because everybody ate, just, everybody just sort of went, boom, like, into that thing, and I didn't put the other picture, but it was, like, reduced to bones on an empty plate by the time we were done. Um, Gus and I had fries, Uh, and then this is, this is the Holy Trinity Church, Um, so this is the outside of the church, that's the gate where uh, the the Ukrainian um, refugees can come, and then they go in, so they buzz there, and then they can come in. Um, what's next there? Okay, was this, so we, uh, we'll stop there for just a second. I'm, I'm close to the end here. Uh, Sunday, we attended two churches, one in the morning, one in the evening. I had a chance to preach at the, um, at the second one. Um, the Trinity, both churches, by the way, met at the same building, for what it's worth. Um, Trinity Baptist Church, which is the location, it, they were celebrating their 90, 90th year and if you've heard of Richard, Richard Wormbrand, he preached there. He wasn't a pastor there, but he preached there. Many of the people remember being up under communism, and they are just very thankful for, for coming out from that. Um, and I, just to say, too, like Stacy said, they love Americans. They were so thankful to have us there. And yet, I will say, we just, I felt like we were learning so, so much from them the whole time we were there. And I was just so inspired by them and by their love for Jesus and their sensitivity to the work of God that is going on around them. It was pretty amazing to me to, to sit in the service and have somebody preaching about comfort idols and, and the need to be aware that, you know, we, we don't want to hold on to our comfort at, at, at the expense of the ministry around us when 900 people, so many of them among this crowd, are like literally having refugees come stay in their homes. Um, and, and, and the pastors are calling them to, to further and further obedience to further and further willingness to give up their comfort and to, to, to do the work of Jesus. Okay, so what else do I have? Do I have anything else? Oh, so this is, this is Teo's brother, um, if you remember Teo from it, and then this is his little bo- boy, Moise, Moses, um, and he's adopted, and uh, this was, we were there on Orphan Sunday, so this was Adiel um, talking about Moise. This was in the second service in the evening. Is there another one? Oh, and that's Gus's friend, Vlad. I just, uh, that, that's, so that's Teo's nephew, um, Adiel's son, and I just, I just think it's cool to have a friend named Vlad. Who doesn't need a, fr- need a friend named Vlad who lives in Romania? Um, so anyway, I think that's all I got, yeah. Um, all right, so what do we do with this? Um, this is not just, I don't think this is just a, a mission trip high for me. Uh, I, I'm very excited to share some of these things for you. First of all, I would encourage you, Let's spend this week being thankful for our abundant blessings. I mean, we are so blessed. We're so blessed in Jesus Christ. We've been adopted by the God of the universe. He adopted us at great cost. Our sins are forgiven. He loves us. As we gather around the table this, this Thursday, I, I just would encourage, as Hope Bible Church, remember to be thankful. And every time I come back into the United States, every time I've been abroad and I come back into the United States, I'm always thankful. I'm thankful for the things we have. We are rich beyond our imagination. We really are. Um, when you go somewhere else, you see that. Our Father has entrusted us with so much, and let's just remember to be thankful for that. Secondly, that we would commit to become doers of the Word and not hearers only. God hasn't given us all of these blessings to just keep them for ourselves. When you read the Word, you find that our Father expects us to invest what He has entrusted to us our lives, our bodies, our money, our house, our children, our time. And I would just remind you, we started out in August. You are not your own. And, and so as children of God, we look to the Father and, and, and we say with Jesus, we, we can do nothing on our own except what we see our Father doing. Third, I would ask you 
to ask God to have eyes to see the needs around you. You don't have to save the world. You can't save the world. You don't have to take care of everything and everybody. But you should always be moving toward the needs that God brings you. And I, I try to have as my personal commitment that when I am confronted with a need that God has brought to me, that I, I assume that I should respond to it unless I find out differently. So what are the opportunities that God is bringing you? Here at church, among your circles of family and friends and acquaintances in Savannah, and then fourth, what about needs in Romania? So let me just get real specific here. Um, Stacy and I have seen the need over there. Like Stacy and I, God has brought that to our attention, and we see it as an opportunity to use our resources to help. Again, I'm not saying we all have to do everything, uh, but for now, this seems to be something that God has brought to our attention at Hope. And there are two very distinct, very huge opportunities for service over there. And number one is with this refugee center. I mean, John, the pastor of Trinity uh, Baptist Church, he said, you know, when we first started out with this, there were lots of teams and there were lots of money. And he said, about the summertime, the teams dried up and the money dried up. And he said, we're tired. And he said, we could use people to come over here and just wash clothes and cook food for all of these people and just sit and listen. And, and to some extent, I think people who are good with their hands to come over and just help them with projects that need to be done all over the church. And I, I think that I could see a trip like February or March that we could, if we could send some people over there to just help with refugees. Um, one of the amazing things, it's not, it's not very expensive over there. I mean, you've got you to gotta get there. Um, but we, we, we stayed in a hotel. Uh, they provided us breakfast every morning. The hotel was within an eight-minute walk from the church. Uh, the total for the hotel for the five nights was under $500 dollars. Um, you know, there, there, are, there are ways that we can do this um, that, that don't require a ton of money. And then the second thing is the, the needs within orphan care. Stacy's already shared with you what God has put on her heart um, to, to be able to work with Alex to do some things to try to provide rest for some of these families who have taken on real serious needs. Um, they've said yes to adopting children who are seriously seriously in need of help. Um, so that, that is also something that I think would be a very real opportunity for us. And then next fall, they're going to have an op adoption uh, conference again, and it's going to be a different place. It's going to all kind of be together, and uh, I think we could also talk about sending a team over there. I, what I want to do, though, is I just want to kind of throw these things out to you, and I, I would like to hear from you and, to say, you know, that is... That is interesting to me. That is exciting to me. That is something that I would like to be a part of as we, as we go forward. I, I would encourage you to think about maybe even involving your family and in, in, in taking, uh, uh, if you have older kids, you know, teenagers, letting them be a part of the ministry over there as well because it's definitely things that we, we can all be a part of and, and do. And then number five, just as, as I close, I know I've said a lot and I've said it in a hurry, um, but just to remind you that service does require sacrifice. And um, Stacy and I funded this trip on our own, and we're very thankful. We had about $500 that people gave that, that covered one of the nights in one of the hotel rooms. Um, we flew economy class at really weird times to save money. Uh, Gus and I, you know, sat in airports for 10, 10 hours on the way there, on the way back. Um, our, our church, certainly, we're not a rich church. We don't have a lot of money to pay for these trips. It would mean raising money. And, and funding ourselves. It, it might mean redirecting vacation money. It might mean saving or earning extra money. Um, but if, if you decide to serve anywhere, whether it's Romania or here at Hope or, or in Savannah, it's going to require a sacrifice of your resources and a sacrifice of your time. And it might mean doing things when you don't feel your best. It might mean in needing to include your children and letting them see what, what God is doing here and around the world. So I, I just wanted to encourage you to consider investing in this work that God is doing. I, I'm a fan of mission trips. I am. I don't like just going in, into a place and painting a wall or something that like 
the people there could do. But what I can tell you is going on in Romania is they're asking for help. They have very specific things that they need help with, and they know how they, they know how to take care of us. They know how to, to, to utilize Americans to do the work that they're trying to do. And I'll tell you what, this too, like it's not all one-sided by any means. Like to go over there and to serve there is not just, you know, we're pouring in and they're just receiving. I assure you, like Stacy and Maya said, there's so many opportunities for us to uh, be poured into and to receive as well. I closed the service on last Sunday night. By the way, we were meeting the same time you were. I was meeting at 5 o'clock over there. It was 10 o'clock here, so we were meeting together. But I, they asked me to close the service by bringing the people to the Lord's table. And uh, I just did that by saying, you know, God has adopted us into his family um, at great cost, at the cost of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And when we come to the table, which we do here every single week, we we are reminding ourselves of that cost and that, that we are invited by the blood of Jesus Christ to come and be a part of the family of God by faith. And, and if you've understood that, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are a part of the family of, Christ, of, the family of God. And, and I want to invite you today as we hand this out to partake. And I, I, I like to picture it like this too. You know, this is a tiny little meal that we take together as a family here every week, but it does picture a big wedding feast that, that, that Christ has told us is going to take place one day, and, uh, and the whole family is going to be together, and it's going to be uh, our family, and it's going to be Romanians, and it's going to be all of the different people, and all, like, like Maya said, all of the different people with disabilities and all the things that God has as a part of his church, we're going to come together, and we're going to have one big meal together, and it's going to be that family of God gathering together for the first time, and it's going to be amazing. Um, so this points to that. Um, if you're not a part of the family of God, if you haven't understood what it means to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then I would ask you just to wait and let us explain that, and maybe one day you can, soon you can partake of this um, with a full understanding of what it means that, that we are truly children of God. All right, so um, we're going to have some, some brothers and sisters hand the, the bread and the cup out to you and uh, just hang on to it for a minute. I'll come up and I'll read a passage and then we'll pray together and we'll partake together.